Well, good morning and happy Easter, everyone. Resurrection Sunday. I often like to say this Sunday is the Super Bowl of our faith. This is our biggest holiday in our faith that we celebrate, that the tomb is empty, that there is power on the other side of the grave, and we celebrate that. I want to take a moment, look in the camera, welcome those watching online. Church family, it's Easter. Can we welcome those on the other side of that camera this morning? Welcome them online for watching us. And you spring breakers, enjoy the warm weather right now, even though our weather's going to get nice here too. But you guys are watching all over the place from California to Florida. We just want to say welcome to Radiant Life. We miss you and hope to see you soon. Well, we're going to jump in straight into the Easter message because what I love about this weekend is we celebrate Easter, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, with three billion brothers and sisters in faith across the globe that the tomb's empty. And I'm excited to bring this, mo this morning's message and then we're gonna get into some baptism and these are just some of my absolute just favorite messages and favorite times of worship together with all of you. But before we jump in, let me just tell you where we're gonna go real quick. We're gonna be in the book of uh, Luke chapter 15. We're gonna start in verse 12. But here's the cool thing about it. If you turn about two thirds of your way into your Bible, you're gonna land on four guys. Four letters, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those are known as the four gospel writers. What that means is they're writing about the good news of Jesus Christ. It's a biography on the life of Jesus. And we get to jump into one of them this morning, Luke. Luke was a physician, a very detailed guy. So he went around and surveyed all these eyewitnesses on the account of Jesus and wrote a letter for us. In fact, Luke wrote a second book that's in your New Testament. He wrote the book of Acts which literally means it's the actions of the early church. Once Jesus was crucified, defeated death, and rose from, uh, rose from death, he went on and started the church. And the book of Acts, which is Luke's second book, is explaining how the church just started to blossom and bloom and reach thousands and thousands of people. But in order to get set up where we are, we're going to jump into what's known as a parable. Jesus is teaching the crowds, and he often uses parables. A parable just means it's a short story to bring biblical truth to the audience. In fact, Jesus, this is actually his third parable in Luke chapter 15. And um, in the midst of this parable, you're going to find every time you look at Jesus and he teaches, he normally brings two to three parables to bring uh, biblical truth. And you sit there and go, well, why does Jesus do that? Yeah, you're right, Ryan. Every time I read about the life of Jesus, it's always in story. Why does Jesus do that? Because they're living into Deuteronomy chapter 19, where it says on the account of two to three witnesses, there's truth. That that is the witness of the truth. And so Jesus is bringing these biblical principles on the account of two to three witnesses, his two to three parables. We could jump into this beautiful parable one of my favorites that Jesus does. And in fact, what we notice in, when we jump in in verse 12 is we have a father who's there and the father has two sons. And the younger one is gonna do some cray-cray things. Luke chapter 15, verse 12 reads this. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. 
Now, cultural context, this was written 2,000 years ago, and I love, this is where I kind of geek out on biblical stuff and biblical studies, is we need to go under the surface and travel back 2,000 years to understand the exact context that this is written. What's amazing about this statement is anytime you get an inheritance, when does an inheritance normally come your way? At death, right? What is the younger son saying to his dad? You're dead to me. Before you're dead, you are dead to me. I want my share of the inheritance right now. And what's amazing is if you were the oldest son in the family, you got two-thirds of the estate of your inheritance. So in the ancient world, you wanted to be that oldest son. You were like, yes, I get the largest sum of money, right? This son, there's only two of them. So that older son gets two-thirds. So this son, let's do some quick math. I know math is maybe from where the devil is, but we'll do it real quick. So if the oldest son gets two-thirds, how much does the son get? I know, I just hurt your brain to some of you. You're like, I can't do that. One-third. The son's saying, give me one-third. I'm out of here, dad. You're dead to me. And in the midst of it, the dad is what's going to seem, is going to give his son that inheritance, that one-third that is owed to him. And then he's going to go on this wild spending spree. Next verse. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. In other words, in contemporary culture, it's like this son got his inheritance and he ran to Las Vegas in wild living. In fact, we know it probably may be similar to Las Vegas. Why? Because later in the parable, we're told, we're told that the oldest brother sits there and goes, my brother spent his money on prostitutes. Ooh. Ooh. Like, this is extravagant wild living. Like, this is ungodly wild living, is what this son is doing. And then after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. Uh-oh. Now what? So... He went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him <laughs> to his fields to feed what animal? Seriously? Pigs? The audience that Jesus is preaching to in this story are all Jews. The most unclean animal is a pig. And the audience, I wonder, wouldn't be like, boo, this son is horrible. How dare him? He was a Jew. First of all, he put shame to his family by saying, Dad, you're dead to me. Now he's gone to wild, ungodly living, and now he wants to, he's going to be in the pigs. This son is crazy. And then it continues. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. Enter the story. That is really disgusting desperation that you want to eat what the pigs are eating. Slop. He's in trouble. But why'd he ever get in trouble? Because sin entered into this boy's life in rebellion. And I know for some of you, that's where maybe perhaps you are, is you're realizing, hey, for this son, listen, sin was fun for a while. Sin may be fun for a minute in your life, but you will always get caught up with the consequences of sin. Why? Because your heavenly father loves you. 
and sits there and goes, you're playing outside the bounds and it's ugly out there. Please come back into the fold. Paul, the greatest missionary in the first century world, took three mission trips, started church plants all over present-day Turkey, which is, if you read in the biblical text, it's Asia Minor at the time, went to uh, present-day Turkey, went to Greece, went to Italy, starting churches all over the place. And he writes to those first-century Christians. These are Christians for the first time, sits there and tells them, I wrestle with my spirit and my flesh. And we all have to understand this. We are flesh and spirit. And Paul sits there and reminds the Christians, listen, my flesh wants to do everything the world has to offer. It's going after the sinful desires of the world. But I want to do what the Spirit is calling me to do, to live a sanctified life. In other words, to live a holy life in all of who God is. They're at war. And sometimes the flesh may win out in your life. But we know we are called to walk and live by the Spirit, not of the flesh. And unfortunately for the Son, he's walking by the flesh right now. And then this beautiful line comes next. As he's in the pig pen. He's gone from luxury to a pig pen. And it says this, when he came to his senses. I love that statement. I love to realize when some of us are walking in darkness and sin, and all of a sudden, we come to our senses. I thank God that many of us have come to our senses. Mark 15, one of my favorite uh, stories in all of Scripture, Mark 15, or I'm sorry, Mark 5. Mark 5 talks about the demoniac that's living in the tombs, that he cuts himself at night with stones. He's crying out. People probably aren't sleeping. I mean, it's a horrible noise. You would never let your children go out at night because you're afraid of that demoniac, that guy that's possessed with demons out there. And it says when Jesus gets off the boat, he comes running after him. And Jesus heals him from the demons. And it says now all of a sudden, the demon-possessed crazy man is sitting there dressed in his right mind. It's a picture of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ that we may be out of our senses and walking in darkness, but he will never leave you nor forsake you, and it was always there to bring you back into the light. And when he came to his senses, he woke up. He said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, now he's got to come up with a story. What, is dad going to accept me or not when I come back home? Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And so his son's going to create this story in his mind, and he sets going, traveling back home. And here you have this picture of this wayward son. This wayward son who has lost who feels spiritually dead, who realizes I'm at rock bottom. But I know I need to get back to dad. And what the son is feeling may be the same feeling many of you feel. You look at your mistakes, you look at your sin, you look at your regrets and sit there and go, I'm unworthy, God. I'm unworthy, of your love, I'm unworthy of your grace, I'm unworthy of your mercy. And then the story picks up 
with the Father. Jump into the Father's shoes. I wonder if every single night that dad didn't go out and sit there and go, son, I wonder if he's coming home. I wonder if he didn't go out to the edge of the field and sit there and look at the horizon as the sun is setting, sit there and go, I really hope God my son comes home. I wonder if every single morning the son or the dad was not on his knees praying to God, God, bring my son back. And we enter back into the story and it says this, but while he, the younger son, was still a long way off, his father saw him. Imagine the emotions the father must have felt right then and there. Imagine what it was like to finally say, oh God, I see him. He's coming back. There he is. And the emotions must have flooded this dad. I want you to know that no matter how unworthy you feel or no matter how a long way off you are from your creator, your heavenly father, he sees you. He sees you. He's still there. He sees you. He can't wait for you to start running back to him. And watch what happens. His father, as he saw him, he was filled with, what's this one word, friends? It's compassion for him. Oh, my rebellious child. Wait, what? I sit there and go, oh, rebellious son, get in your room. You're grounded. You know what you did. Don't you ever put us to shame again. But that's not the father's response, is it? Oh, son, you were lost. You were wayward. I love you. I love you. You don't have to feel unworthy in my presence. Oh, son, I love you. And what's amazing as that son returned to his father, it was not condemnation, but compassion. How many of us honestly would sit there and go, I would condemn my child, but not this father? Oh, he's filled with compassion. Even in the midst of his son literally telling him, Dad, you're dead to me, and brought shame into that village for that family. Even though he spent all his inheritance on wild living, his dad saw him. It was filled with compassion. And what happens next, the crowds that were listening to Jesus would have been outraged. Because the father, as he saw him and was filled with compassion, he ran to his son. He ran. Men, in the ancient world, one thing you did not do is show your legs. You didn't do it. There's only one time you ever showed your legs. And that was when you were fighting. You would take your long tunic, you would roll it up, put it into your belt in a funky different way, and it would be called girding your loins. It's the only, I know, it's funny. <laughs> I didn't make it up, all right? So in order to run, as you are in your tunic, you'd have to hike it up a little bit, or you'd look really funny. You'd be running like this, like, oh, coming, son! You'd have to hike that thing up and run. That's what, this, that's what the dad's doing. He's saying, I'm so, I'm more undignified than this. I am running to my son. Let's jump back into biblical context for a moment. Why also is this here telling us that the father is running to his son? Because you remember how we started out. Dad, you're dead to me. They would have, 
as the father had gifted his son his inheritance and the son left, in the ancient culture in that village, they would have had a mock funeral for that son. They would have put him to rest, if you will. He was written off. And in the ancient culture, if that wayward son was to ever to come back into the village, the villagers would rise up and meet him at the gates and stone him to death. What is the father doing? I will be the first one to my son in this village, will not touch him. He is mine and I'm filled with compassion for him. We will not condemn him. Even though he went on this wild, rebellious, wild living, we will not condemn him. We will meet him with compassion. And his father threw his arms around him. Can you imagine that embrace? We don't know how long this wayward son was gone from the father, but can you imagine what the father is experiencing? Oh, son, I love you. And then we, it says, and he kissed him. That embrace must have been so intimate with that, with that dad. But I wondered for the son if he's not thinking, I'm still in trouble. But the son, again, the father met him not with condemnation, but with compassion. So the son in the embrace says, I remember this story I made up when I was over here in the distant country making my way back home. I got to tell my dad because I'm afraid. I know he hugged me. I know he kissed me, but my bedroom, I still may be grounded to it. So the son's going to go into his story. The son said to him, Father, I, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. I know what I did, and it's unworthiness that's settling into my heart. Remember, not condemnation, but compassion. Romans 8, chapter 1 says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. If you follow Jesus this morning, God, and Jesus does not condemn you. That is a spirit of the enemy of your soul. He meets you with compassion. Is there times of conviction? Absolutely. But conviction is not condemnation. Understand that. You beat yourself up, that is not from your heavenly father. I'll be the first one to admit, I struggle with that. I'll be the first one to beat myself up with anything. But I know, not today, Satan. And I'm running to my heavenly father's arms. But check this out. This would have floored the audience. The religious leaders are there, the, the Jews, and oh, this gets exciting right here. Here we go. This would have this made the audience probably begin to throw tomatoes at Jesus. It's right here. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Hold on. Can you imagine being the servant? Are you out of your mind? Your child is crazy. He told you and put shame on your family in front of our entire village, and you want to bring him the best robe? How about like a dirty, stinky one? Because that's what your son smells like anyways. He's been with the pigs. And a ring, really? You're going to put a ring on him? Sandals? Why was this even here? Because slaves never had footwear. How do you pick out a slave in the ancient world? Look at their feet. Who's wearing sandals? Who's not? Well, when was he a slave? Remember, he hired himself out in the pig pen. 
And the father is meeting him with compassion, saying, no, 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 he's not a servant. He's mine. And then, hey, by the way, uh, servants, bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. In other words, hey, by the way, my son's home. We're going to throw a backyard barbecue, baby. Get the fire pit burning. Get the barbecue sauce out. It is going to be a party. Why? Because the father's going to say, why? You all have questions for my son of mine. He was dead. And he's alive again. He was lost. And now my son is found. So they began to celebrate. Come on. It was a party. (laughs) You dirty dog, you. (laughs) And the audience would have said, this is the worst story ever. We have 613 laws to abide by. Your son violated them. And you're doing this? Are you out of your mind? We get who the heart of our Heavenly Father is filled with compassion. In fact, there's a beautiful uh, verse, uh, several verses back in Luke chapter 15, verse 10. And it reminds us why they're throwing a party. Luke 15, 10 reads this. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of angels of God over one sinner who repents. So repent means literally um, it's to turn to directions. My life is going this way. I repent and then I confess my sins and I'm turning back the right way towards God. And there is rejoicing in heaven. This is the reason why now in our parable, the dad is throwing a party. Because by golly, there's a party in heaven going on and the dad is sitting there going, we're going to party here as well. Because one sinner repented. The lost son is now found. Thank you, Jesus. And I love this. Don't miss out on this. Many of you may be following Jesus for a while. And you once were rejoicing. You had it. I think it's time to start rejoicing again. You need to up it. Rejoice. There is a party And again, the crowd would have said, this is horrible. We don't like this story. I don't like my TV turned off. There we go. Because this son is unworthy. He's unworthy. We should judge him. We should condemn him. That says, no, he's mine. And we'll party not to beat him up for what he did. We're partying because he's back home. He's back home. Don't miss this. Because the older son, this is the part two that we're not going to get into all the detail. It's fun detail there, though. The oldest son who stayed on the farm was mad. How dare you? He's out there working, and what he hears is he hears music. What? 
What's music? I'm working. A hired servant comes out and meets the son. Says, hey, hey, dude, there's a party. There is dancing. There is music. Oh, you should come. Thank you. <laughs> Sorry, married. All right. getting warm in here? <laughs> the oldest son's mad. Why does my rebellious brother get a party and I don't? He was unworthy of it. Yeah, I've been doing everything right. And dad doesn't throw me a party. An older son's going to have a conversation with his father and eventually his father's going to remind him, hey, listen, but you were always with me. And that's a party in and of itself. Don't lose sight of this story. Because the oldest son lost sight of one word, and it's grace. See, what is grace? Grace is an undeserved or unmerited favor from God. His love for you. You don't deserve it, you don't earn it, but he freely gives it to you. It's a free gift from God. And I know, see, that, that's why we wrestle with this term grace, because it's free. In our culture today, what do we do? We do, 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 work, 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 earn, 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 to get what we desire. Anytime we hear the word free, we sit there and go, where's the strings attached? There's got to be something here. And in the midst of it, that's not grace. This is why we struggle with it, because it's free. There's nothing more you can do. God loves you the way you are. As you come in here this morning, God loves you. You can't pray enough prayers or come to church enough to get more of God's love. It's there and it's covering you. Understand this, that grace is bigger than your greatest sin. Think back a year ago. What was that biggest sin you did? Listen, God's grace is bigger. What'd you do 20 years from now? God's grace is bigger and will cover it. All because why? Because God loves you. He loves you. He doesn't love you any more or less than what he did last night. Oh, he loves you. Growing up in church, if you grew up in church, even as a little kid and you grew up, you probably memorized this verse, John 3, 16. It was our opening song that we sang, for God so loved the world. It begins, for God oh so loved the world. He so loved you. He so loved you. Not just a little love, not just enough to get you by a day. No, he so loved you. He covered you in it. In fact, he wanted to demonstrate that to you. So what did he do? He gave his one and only son for you. That whoever believes, all you have to do is put your faith and trust into Jesus Christ and believe that you can be forgiven of your sins. You will not perish but have eternal life. Oh, your heavenly father loves you. He loves you. He's covered you in it. And that was the story of the prodigal son. The dad is God. 
And you and I are that son. We've gotten away sometimes. And maybe this morning you've gotten away. But God's sitting there reminding you, come back. I'll meet you with compassion because I love you. Not condemnation, but compassion. In fact, I want to close with the story that happened 750 years prior to Jesus. It's a story perhaps many of us don't necessarily always dive into. 750 years before the time of Jesus was a prophet by the name of Hosea. A prophet means he was the mouthpiece of God to the nation of Israel. In other words, he was to bring the message and news of God to the people. To bring, hey, guess what guys, you're off track. God's judgment is going to come. We need to bring you back on track or speak some awesome truth to the Israelites. And this prophet, Hosea, gets an assignment from God. God tells him, I want you to marry a prostitute. I imagine Hosea going, excuse me, God. I'm supposed to be a prophet, this holy man for this nation. And you're asking me to get into a relationship, not even get into a relationship, marry a prostitute. And so Hosea listens and obeys and is obedient to God. He marries the prostitute named Gomer. They get married and they have a son. And they have a daughter. And they have a son. And one day, while he wakes up and his wife's gone. Gomer's not there. I wonder in that moment if Hosea didn't go to the kitchen and look around. Where are you, wife? Maybe, maybe she got up in the middle of the night, took care of the kids. Let me go in the kids' room and check, and she's not in the kids' room either. And he realizes Gomer's gone. And he finds himself to be a single dad with three kids now. And then God's going to tell Hosea what to do. Hosea chapter 3 verse 1 reads this way. The Lord said to me, go show your love to your wife again. Though she is loved by another man and is an adulteress, love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes. Biblical scholars will say, that Gomer has gone back to the prostitution life. In fact, many biblical scholars, almost all of them will say in this moment, she actually went to the, if you will, the red light district, and she's literally on the auction blocks right now in the sex slave industry. Gomer listened, or I'm sorry, Hosea listens. And we're told that right after this, Hosea will find his wife and buy her back with 15 shekels of silver and some baskets of barley. And you may sit there and go, hold on, wait a minute. They're still married. Gomer and Hosea are still in a covenantal relationship, marriage. He doesn't need to buy Gomer back. They already belong together. 
And you're starting to hear the heavenly father's heart for you and I. That you and I are already God's, but he bought us back, even though we already belong to him, by sacrificing this sacred blood through, on this torture instrument called the cross, through his son, Jesus Christ, and bought you and I back when we were already his. But he bought us back. And now there's power for you and I because the grave's empty. And Hosea buys Gomer back and Hosea's gonna have a conversation with his wife. Then I told her, you're to live with me many days. You must not be a prostitute or be intimate with any man. And I will behave the same way towards you. The beautiful thing of the story is Hosea The name Hosea means salvation. The name Gomer in the Hebrew means complete or to be completed. Gomer was never completed without Hosea's salvation. You and I are never completed without salvation through Jesus Christ. You and I are the Gomers in the story. Orion, I'm not a prostitute. Prostitution means to give ourselves away. How many of us have given ourselves away to drugs, alcohol, addictions, gambling, gossip, work? Oh, and we've given ourselves to the worldly things instead of our creator. See, the story of the prodigal son that the Father, our Heavenly Father, welcomes us back with compassion. The story of Gomer and Hosea sitting there going, stop going out to the world, come back into my arms because I will complete you, I am salvation. I think what the heart of the Heavenly Father is asking us is come home. And he's ready to meet you no matter where you are in life. No matter if you've gotten off a track of following Jesus, no matter if you've been, you feel like, okay, my, my path went a little bit this way and I know I need to get back, your Heavenly Father is ready to open His arms and welcome you back with full compassion. But it's time to come home. 